0: in a world where some of the greatest motion pictures ever made are reaching their 30th anniversaries one group of friends gathered together to pay tribute to these films Pat Cantagalli Dennis Matouche, Jeff Mazuka bold each week we take a look back at one movie that is reaching that 30 year milestone whether you love seeing these films in the theater or enjoying them for the first time at home we invite you to join us this year as we travel back in time to 1986 i am your host john reed and you're listening to the 30 something movie podcast Hello, and thank you for joining us once again on the 30-something Movie Podcast, although this time around, we're going to be talking comic books again, so it's not so much a movie podcast, but we're comic books, which are different from movies, for those of you that have been in a cave your entire life. Comic books have pages, movies have visual images, so they're, they're very different things, but that's what we're going to be talking about this time around. So this is, we are episode number 87 on our march towards 100, still not sure what we're going to do for 100, but we have some ideas, so we'll let you know. Uh, We decided with 86 being such a pivotal year for the comic book industry uh, that I wanted to take a few episodes over the summer, which now we are leaning very quickly into the fall because that escalated quickly, um, and uh, explore some of the major events that happened in the comic book world in 86 and how that's impacted modern movies or our modern take on certain characters and superheroes and and such. Uh, So we're continuing our series with Alan Moore and Dave Gibbons' award-winning limited series, Watchmen. So that's what we'll be talking about today. Very quickly, if you could, please leave us a review on iTunes. Um, if you get your podcast from iTunes, go ahead on over there and leave us a review. Um, I think the maximum is five stars. Feel free to give us seven. Uh, that would be absolutely awesome. Above and beyond. You're all beautiful. Thank you so much. And um, before we get into talking about Watchmen, uh, really quickly, we just want to let you know we do spoil the events of everything we talk about. Whether they are the movies from the 80s or comic books, we are going to talk plot. We're going to talk about things that happen. So if you have not read Watchmen yet or seen the movie, maybe you want to make sure that you go do that and then come back and listen. So uh, with me today, I have my brother, Brian. Hello. Hello, Brian. We were actually playing with the microphones before we got started. We were going to do a little NPR thing.
1: Yes, uh, we were going to try to talk as professionally but softly as possible.
0: We were. We were. It's
1: very nice.
0: Good times. Mm-hmm. Good times. So what have you uh, what do you like to do around the holidays?
1: Um, you know, I like to uh cook a little bit.
0: Do you? What, what's your favorite thing to cook? Uh <laughs> I uh I like to make some some meatballs. Yeah.
1: Mhm.
0: Yeah. Okay. Good times. Good times. I'm a frozen waffle connoisseur myself. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. I like the, the frozen waffles. The, the the I can't afford the Egos. No, no. So the Egos, um, the uh, the knockoff Egos, and and maybe if, if I'm if I'm really splurging, I get a little bag of uh, frozen berries. Oh yes, yes. Okay, we're not gonna do that the whole time, because <laughs> that would be, uh, <clears throat> yeah. It's We're actually recording this in the morning, and and I'm not going to start drinking before noon, so um, we're not doing that the entire time. Hey! hey. All right. So, um, Brian, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? What, okay. What, what, is, what do the people need to know? For all of our listeners in Ireland and Russia, and we have a few that are in the States, but what would the people of Russia need to know about you?
1: Um, <clears throat> so, I don't know um, <laughs> uh, I, I have a master's degree in poetry I don't know why anyone let me do that but they did um, I I like early modern literature I'm a nerd uh, you fit in here I'm wearing a Pokemon shirt right now that's true you are uh, you gotta catch them all yeah Um, I have recurring addictions to Magic the Gathering. I, you know, I think things that are kind of explanatory. Uh, It's a big nerd. Yeah, Uh, I liked all eight until the ninth Hellraiser movies. Okay, and watched them all within a month, and then watched the ninth, and it was really sad. So
0: okay, yeah, I'm trying to remember. Is our first one? Is that next year,
1: it's coming up soon.
0: Hmm. Yeah, yeah. Hellraiser, nineteen eighty-seven. Well, we've got such sites to show you. Okay, well, I may have you either come back or have you give me some feedback on it when the uh, when we get to that one. That most likely will be in October of next year because we like to save all of our scary ones for October. So it's a good one. So yeah. I I did watch it for the first time last year.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: It's um, it's intense. It's great. It's intense. So, yeah, so I might have you uh, maybe come back or maybe have you call into our voicemail line. Ooh, oh, segue, voicemail. we have a voicemail line. So if you want to give us some feedback, seeing as how podcasting is an audio thing, if you want to give us some feedback in an audio medium, you can call our voicemail line, and that is 872-35-MOVIE, 872-35-MOVIE, if you want to do that. Um, otherwise, we're on Twitter and Facebook and all those other places. Um, all right, so should we... Um, we start talking. Yeah, I guess so. Let's, let's do some do some okay. Watchmen here. Who watches the Watchmen? The postman. Hmm. That Kevin Costner movie. Yeah. Oh, okay. That's disturbing. Um. All right. So we're gonna we're gonna talk Watchmen this time around. Watchmen was a twelve issue limited series that was released uh, from September 1986 to October 1987. It was written by Alan Moore, who has done uh, everything. Um, he, has d- he did Superman, uh, the story, Whatever Happened to the Man of Tomorrow. He did Batman the Killing Joke. He uh, created Swamp Thing. He wrote V for Vendetta, From Hell, and The League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. The artist was Dave Gibbons. He did art on Judge Dredd, the Doctor Who comics, uh, Batman vs. Predator. He also did the art on Whatever Happened to the Man of Tomorrow, and the Dark Horse series, Martha Washington Goes to War. Colors on this one, John Higgins, he did Judge Dredd, Batman the Killing Joke, and the series they did just a few years ago called Before Watchmen, where they treated it as like a prequel to the uh, Watchmen comic. And then we have the editors, Len Wein, who did, who was a co-creator of Swamp Thing, also co-created Wolverine, Nightcrawler, Storm, and Colossus for Marvel. And Barbara Kessel, I think it's Kessel, um, was the editor at DC and Dark Horse Comics, worked on some of the Batman and Superman and Superboy comics. Uh, she did the Superboy comics in the 90s when it was the, the new Superboy uh, as the prominent characters in this one we have Walter Kovacs, Rorschach Edward Blake the Comedian, Dr. John Osterman Dr. Manhattan, Daniel Dryberg. do you say Dryberg or Dreiberg I always thought it was Dryberg. Dryberg, good, okay, Night Owl Adrian Veidt, do you say Veid? Uh sure sure. Ozymandias, <laughs> and Lori Laurie... mm. um how do you want to say her last name uh, Juspezik Juspezik maybe The Silk Spectre Lori Jupiter Well because that's why well, They took the name Ju- Sally, Was it Sally Jupiter was the Yeah yeah, yeah to
1: anglicize it
0: Right So we're going to either go We can't figure out Quite how to say her last name But Silk Spectre Lori Lori, Lori J There you go Um, Apologize to all the Eastern European viewers Absolutely we Listeners all, Right Viewers <laughs> listeners If you're viewing the podcast We apologize to you as well <laughs> It's, uh, it's not a pretty picture. All right. So if the timeline skewed off into an alternate 1985, you'd be in a different movie. Um, but if it was this one, you'd be in an alternate America where superheroes exist in the real world. Uh, they Superheroes showed up in the 1940s, 50s, and 60s. And uh, we have a world in which they're acting as if this really happened in the real world. Uh, you would have the premise of Watchmen. When the comedian, a former member of a superhero team, is killed, the masked vigilante Rorschach embarks on a personal crusade to uncover the truth, which ends up including a plot to kill or discredit all of the former heroes. So I have a couple things here on the background of the story. Um, I don't want to do too much background because we'll just get into talking about it a little bit, but... And those will kind of come up as we go along. But the original idea from this, Alan Moore wanted to create a story which deconstructed the superhero genre. And the original proposal was to take some of the uh, characters that DC had recently acquired from uh, Charlton Comics and use them to deconstruct the superhero genre. Some of those characters probably would have included, I think, like the Blue Beetle. Um, now I'm going to blank out on a lot of the different characters. Um captain adam some of those others that they acquired from this other company that they had purchased they were going to use those characters which is why captain adam would have been dr manhattan blue beetle would have been night owl um so very very similar characters but one of the editors at dc dick giordano told him that they couldn't feature the characters in the story because it was a tale that would likely leave those characters dead or totally unusable because of the way the characters were treated in the story so i said come up with your own brand new characters Although Dead has never stopped comic books before. That is also true. Yeah, I don't know quite why. When I saw that that was their reason, (laughs) I'm like what are you you, in two years, you're going to reboot it anyway. So no, it doesn't really matter. Um, One of the other interesting background things in here is other than Rorschach's journal entries, there is only dialogue. There are no thought balloons to try to explain the thoughts and feelings of the characters, which would have been kind of a rare thing in comic books at the time. So uh, jumping on into, oh, and the, and the black freighter and the Blake freighter too. We do have the black freighter as kind of the, the story within the story. We'll, we'll talk about that, um, here in a little bit, but yeah, that was kind of a, that actually threw me off the first time that I read it.
1: I know. I don't like the, I don't like reading two things at the same time. Yeah.
0: So yeah, we'll, we'll talk about that here in just a little bit, but, um, okay. So real quick, do you want to run through a, a summary of the plot? Let's do a, let's, let's give the people a summary okay okay so um this opens up in 1985 and again like we said it's kind of an alternate reality where superheroes are here in the real world which is why when we get to talking about the black freighter story the comic books that people would have had wouldn't have been superhero comics because superheroes are real and they're not very popular so nobody wants to read about them um you have at the beginning of the story edward blake the comedian who we find out was a government operative, uh, is murdered and thrown out the window of his apartment and goes splat on the ground below. Um, Rorschach, one of the other heroes, in fact, I think Rorschach is the only hero that's active at this point because the rest have been either sent into retirement or they just decided not to do their superhero thing anymore because of a uh, government act called the Keen Act, I think it was. Uh Yeah, the Keen Act. And that kind of said, no more superheroes, no more vigilante stuff, because they show throughout the story, you've got um, the police go on strike because they feel like they can't do their job because the heroes are messing everything up. And, um, And then as we go kind of throughout the story, one thing that I guess makes it a little bit difficult to do a linear plot summary is how it does jump around quite a bit. Like you're jumping around back and forth through time, especially those issues with Dr. Manhattan. You're really jumping around quite a bit with back and forth through time. But a lot of the story is kind of giving the background of these characters and how they got to where they're at. And um, ultimately, what you do find out as Rorschach is, is investigating this whole thing, you do find out that all of a sudden, um, Dr. Manhattan's being discredited because a lot of his former associates have contracted cancer somehow. And um, so he's kind of blamed for that. And he exiles himself to Mars. Um, And then Rorschach ends up getting arrested. He's framed for the murder of, was it Moloch? Yeah. He was framed for the murder of Moloch. So he's arrested and put in prison. And um, as the story goes along, you do kind of find out that there is this plot going on to try to discredit or kill the other heroes. And uh, eventually, they find out that the person behind the plot is... Bum, bum, bum. Ozymandias. Bum, bum. And why, Brian uh because
1: why Why? oh. oh I'm sorry go ahead okay uh it's because he set up this entire plot um as a means to set the world back on the path to peace by introducing such a great trauma that everybody has to put down their pointy sticks and atomic bombs um and come together to work to a single goal which in this case is to repel
0: an alien menace we all need a common enemy so, um, if it's not terrorists, it's aliens. Yep. Okay. <laughs> we'll try not to get too political here. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. With this book, it With, yeah, has to. Even though it's funny, Alan Moore did not want it to be political. In the articles I've read, he's like, I didn't mean for this to be a political thing. If you read into it that's political, that's fine, but I'm just talking about the world. I'm not talking political parties. <laughs> just
1: everything I'm is political. Like, well, Alan,
0: um, <laughs> can I call you Alan? Um, no, I don't think so.
1: But it's like saying, well, I really didn't want you to read any anarchism into uh, V for Vendetta. Right. That's not what I was going for.
0: Yeah. So, uh, as we get further on into the story, um, a lot of the heroes kind of come together. They do bring Dr. Manhattan back to Earth, um, and they kind of confront Ozymandias. And ultimately, at the end of the story, uh, Rorschach is vaporized by actually, vaporized by Dr. Manhattan. That was yep. kind of a strange twist i didn't yep. see coming forgot, the first time
1: i forgot about that
0: right i'm like <laughs> yeah. oh look the heroes are banding together and he uh, just vaporized his teammate that's yeah. that's not cool yeah. um so and then the end of it is a fairly ambiguous open-ended kind of ending yeah where the world might be in a better place maybe maybe
1: maybe but maybe. then it like hangs that the uh, the the right wing New Frontiersman paper has Rorschach's journal, which mm-hmm. would blow up the whole plot behind the aliens that it was all Ozymandias and all that, and uh, just kind of
0: hangs it there. Right. I mean, we don't really ever find out. Doctor Manhattan, I think, goes off doesn't go off into space. And off into another and, like, galaxy. I'm gonna go I'm gonna go create a life somewhere yeah. else. Okay, God. <laughs> Have fun. So yeah, so it ends in kind of an ambiguous way, and I'm, I'm trying to, we'll, I know we'll talk about some of the differences in just a minute, but I'm trying to remember the movie, I don't think ended in quite as an ambiguous way. And it was still pretty similar, but... It was similar, but if I remember... It's
1: been a little while since I've seen the movie. The movie ends differently. There's not a big space monster Right, thing. there's not an alien. It's just a... Um, it's just a blast that goes off that is supposed to register like Dr. Manhattan. Right. And then he and leaves because it. he thinks if I hang around, then this will cause a problem. Um, I don't remember that kind of... Ambiguity in terms of like what, what the world is left hanging with. I remember them putting in at the very end their you know scenes of like rebuilding and people working together to rebuild. Which, in the comic book, there's not a lot of sign of people working to rebuild. Right. The big rebuilding thing that you see is that the uh, editorial assistant at the New Frontiers. Uh, comes back from burgers and borscht. Right. Which I assume is supposed to be some sort of like a, you know, now we are culturally joined or something like that. Although they're in New York, to be fair, I'm sure there were already burgers and borscht places in New York.
0: Right. Yeah, I was trying to look up real quick. Yeah, you don't have the alien creature at the end. But yeah, yeah, I don't remember exactly. But I, I just feel like it wasn't quite as an ambiguous No. The world is in a crappier place. No. Or or will be in a crappier place shortly. Okay. So all right, well Brian, let me ask you, when was the first time you read this? Um if I remember correctly, it was either
1: during my senior year of undergrad or Just afterwards, just after graduation, I can't remember because I remember actually reading it on a train. So I think it was senior year, and I was going up to Chicago for something. Um, and that would—I mean—that would have been like five, four years ago, something like that. I don't
0: know. Okay. And did you like it at the time? Like, I know it—it took me maybe a couple times of reading this to actually like the story. I am actually in the opposite. So I liked it the first time I read it, oh. and now the second time that I've read it, I really don't like it. <laughs> okay. Because I, I read something somewhere that that was kind of their plan for it, was that this is a story that you really need to read five, six, seven times to get everything. It's like one of those movies that is so dense that you have yeah. to read it multiple times. But I kind of found... like I feel like this is the third time I've read it now, and I think... I can't say that it's one of my absolute favorite stories that's ever been done. But I definitely like it. There are things that I appreciate about it more, rereading it now, versus the first time I read it when I was just like, what is this?
1: Yeah, I... I The first time I read it, I think I kind of liked it a little bit more just in the... I don't know. It's one of those things that it's it's a very kind of angsty book and there's a lot of nihilism to it and the the dystopia can be very attractive as like the alternate history and all that Um, but a lot of the stuff that I read while I was working through my masters also had a lot of you know it would either be on the face nihilistic or the world would seem to be in a dystopia and then something would come out of it that would illustrate, oh yeah, actually, you know, we can move towards something better. Whereas Watchmen, I kind of feel like it ends with anywhere we go, this is probably going to go back to being bad. And I just kind of, that kind of gets under my skin a little bit now. Mostly, and I know we say we're not going to get too political, but mostly because I think that we're in a an environment where people are much more willing to say we are stuck in an endless loop, and there really isn't much that we can do to fix it.
0: And I just don't like that attitude. <laughs> so, so do you think now would be a good time, given the political climate and other things, would now be a good time to reread this if you haven't read it, uh, I or think, to reread it again if it was has been a while?
1: No, absolutely. I think it would be a good time to reread it because I think that there's a lot of things in there that point to, you know, points points that jar between what the text has and what, you know, the real-life reality has. I mean, at any moment, to read the thing critically, there's a lot of things that Alan Moore does to kind of gloss over large parts of America and not really read them. I mean, New York is kind of portrayed, and I know it's 1985, mm-hmm. and... It's a different New York in '85 and all that, but New York is kind of read as this one-dimensional—I don't know, like cliched New York. Everyone's tough, and the streets are dirty, and you know, there's uh, there is "quote unquote" diversity because we have, I think, a whopping one black couple and one lesbian couple. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but it's like it never goes into that's diversity in 85 yes <laughs> it never goes into their community like it never goes any farther than when they walk past the newsstand mm-hmm. and we get the one moment where we go to the psychiatrist's house but really I mean it's kind of the point of um, it's the it's the philosophy behind the Bechtel test not the Bechtel test itself they are never not talking about whatever it is that Alan Moore wants that character to talk about, he never lets his characters run free, so you never see the rest of their life in this sense, and I know you're like, well the author always controls the characters, but it's this sense of they're always either talking about Rorschach if it's the the psychiatrist couple, or if they're at the newsstand, then they're always pushing forward this idea that there is disunity in the city, and you know it is a diverse place, but people are always bickering and angry at each other and you don't ever see the possible like blossoming flowers that occur in New York City which is a massive incredibly diverse city I mean it's one of I I don't think it is the most but it is one of the most diverse cities on the planet and we don't ever see the like points of blossom the points where actually humanity if we grasped at this we would take off into a much better
0: place and instead it's kind of like no it's all dirty and grimy and we're all doomed So is that because the story is not about humanity? Because I think the main thrust of the story, at least what I've read from some of the uh, interviews with Alan Moore, is that the whole thrust of this story is: if superheroes were real, what would their lives really be like? Like what, as people, what would they be like? What would they do when they don't have the mask and the cape on? So, do we need to have the rest of humanity? Portrayed as a character, or do we need to have? I guess. I guess my question is: Does it matter? Yeah. No. You need. The, do, we, do we need to see a real New York, or is the focus? Is he trying to? Is he doing that, keeping it one-dimensional, so the focus stays on the superheroes themselves? But then, where are the superheroes
1: from? I mean, are the superheroes from the Beach Boys, California, which is like this vague sense of what a you know what the place actually is? If, the, if you have, okay, so like Halls Mason lives in this little apartment in New York but you don't really get a sense of where he is, like where what New York borough is he in, what is the neighborhood like that he's in, the only thing you get is eventually the skinheads bust in and kill him and it's like the same thing with, uh, with Night Owl you get that he's a superhero and he's kind of got this, you know, Batman feel with all the gadgets and uh, Archimedes and all that um, but you never actually, and that's that's part of my problem with the book is he wants to show that they're real people, but they're never actually real people. They're still doing things that are either superhero things or things that we would think are appropriate for literature. You know, (laughs) you never see like, all right, Night Owl is thinking up the next uh article he's gonna write for whatever you know uh ornithological journal and he's doing it while he's in the shower taking a dump or something, something like, like something that a real person does he's taking a dump in the shower no one well, <laughs> I, I hope not that wow i don't know maybe mm. <laughs> who washes the watchman's shower yeah there we go mm. but i think that's my you know part of my issue that is, quickly. yeah that yeah, really took wow. a turn Um, I feel like that would be more Rorschach
0: style. A little bit, yeah, a little bit. Where's my face wash? Give me my face wash. You're not locked in the... (laughs) I'm not locked in the bathroom with you. You're locked in here with me. Oh, that's scary. Uh,
1: But, I mean, it's just, you know, part of my issue is that a lot of the what if they were real people, it still remains within the sense of writing of that real people still have elevated conflicts and lives that go beyond the absolute every day. So you take, for example, you know things that deal with real people. Um, there's an amazing poem by uh, Gabe Gooding, who I will go ahead and confess was my thesis advisor. Um, so here's a plug for Gabe. Um, but one of the lines that I remember, and it's just amazing. So uh, he, he wrote this book called In Defense of Poetry, um, and it's a lot of these kind of moments between uh, funny things and um, very serious things mixing it all together and it's poetry so it's this high art form and all this stuff that most people don't actually read um, but one of the lines and it is the line that stuck with me throughout the entire book I'm sorry Gabe but at the same time you might think this is funny the line that stuck with me is the whole book is it's amazing what a fart can hold aloft <laughs> I uh, you know it's, I gotcha <laughs> it's one of those I, things that you I can smell what you're cooking <laughs> right no right and it's the same thing with like uh, uh, Nicholas Baker's Mezzanine it's an entire novel that is about entirely just ephemeral everyday almost inane things the plot of the novel is the guy gets on a um, escalator and that's pretty much it and it's just the stuff that he thinks about throughout that time as he's writing the escalator right Um, They're tiny, tiny thoughts, but you know that this kind of blurs into more what it is to be human. And part of my issue with Watchmen, to bring this all back, is that most of the characters in Watchmen don't have superpowers. Right. They are that kind of 40s style, you know, they don't have a superpower, but they have a lot of money. Mm -hmm. Or they're a good shot or you know this or I was or a pro boxer
0: so I'm gonna put right. on a costume and, and beat the crap out of people
1: right or I just thought this was the right thing to do yeah. and I have a nice
0: haircut right uh, some of them don't even have nice haircuts no some of them don't no um, so you so you're not buying the you're not buying the uh, this story is is focused on people and how people would react if they were real superheroes and if superheroes were real in the world and so you're not you're not buying what he's selling. No, not like not even
1: in the slightest bit. And uh, the other issue
0: with that is that you know
1: where is the where is the rest of culture in this story? <laughs> I think that they occasionally turn on the TV and it's like uh, either the news or it's Ozymandias, you know, commenting on like how sexy the TV is, and that's why they're going to go to war. Right there's Nothing in terms of the rest of culture. You know, there's no real counterculture outside of the uh, skinhead punks mm-hmm. and the uh, like uh, uh, lesbian feminist poster. And that's about it. I mean, there's no counterculture to put a punch to any of this stuff. But we know that anytime you have any kind of, I don't know, tyrannical Nixon, you're going to have some kind of counterculture crop up. So my, you know, my question, and I was reading a lot of this because, you know, I read this against looking at other things that are kind of from the '80s that deal with something dystopian. Well, I'm reading this against David Bowie, to be honest. Yeah. And I see so much more life in David Bowie, and I wonder where is the David Bowie in the Watchmen? <laughs> you know, and he yeah. wasn't the only, David Bowie's not the only one. Where are the rest of the musicians and the artists and Watchmen that? you know, provide some people with a voice
0: in stressful times. Yeah. So it's not, so again, you're not, you're not buying it that this is a, this is a great story because it's focused on the lives of the superheroes. And No. you, you want to see more of the right. outside world, the, the culture, the, you want to see more of humanity.
1: Well, and I want and to why see is
0: humanity worth saving. Well, if and we I want don't see to, any of the other stuff.
1: Like who are the superheroes? Mm-hmm. What's their, you know, what is a person's favorite album? Because all these people sit around stressed out all the time, but you're trying to tell me that they never listen to music. And most of them don't even refer to music. <laughs> they don't refer to novels. They don't, I mean, there's nothing that they do. It's so tightly knit into what the plot is that It's at no more point about, time, It's more about
0: their relationships with each other.
1: Right. But I mean, there's no means, you know, there's no means to you understanding them. As a full-bodied human being, there's only means for you to understand them as in relationship to each other, to each other yeah. and more importantly, in relationship to the genre of superhero comic books. Mm-hmm. And I think that's part of my problem is it's not a bad story. I, I mean, it's I I don't want to say it's a fun story because it's not a fun. It's not sure, fun it's not at fun. all. <laughs> it's yeah, kind of horrible. Um, it's not a fun story, but it's you know it's good for what it is in terms of the genre. But I'm always, I'm always interested when people say this was the thing that pushed the, the genre in such amazing and interesting ways, because realistically, it pushed the genre further into the genre. It mm-hmm. didn't push the genre out of itself. And, you know, there's a, um, a lot of arguments on, you know, what the avant-garde is. And it's not to say The Watchmen is avant-garde by anyone's means. It's still very much a commercial comic book. Um, But, I mean, the basic sense is that it's two genres rub up against each other, and at the site of conflict, that is the avant-garde. Well, what is the Watchmen being the product of conflict
0: with? Because as far as I can tell, it's like... uh, The flashy, colorful superheroes? But with what? Your weekly weekly superhero story that... Maybe doesn't delve so much into the superhero's personal life. I'm, I'm just, I'm throwing that out there. Right.
1: No, and I mean that's part of my issues. Is I like, can't you don't, see the other side of conflict mm-hmm. within it. You know, I understand that it might be, it might be
0: that flashy superhero mm-hmm. with like, like I'm, I'm, thinking cool of it as like stories or something. Right. But that's not. I'm thinking of the it as like a, a difference between well, like the difference between say like a Superman comic versus The Walking Dead. Right, like Walking Dead is almost all entirely. There's a little bit of action here and there, but it's almost entirely dialogue. It's almost entirely people's relationships with each other and how they deal with their conflicts and their problems. Whereas in Superman, it's probably mostly you know thirty pages of punching and explosions and right. And occasionally, you get a little bit of character development in there, and I mean, not that I'm bashing Superman comic books because I love them, but um, you know, I think that was that was the attempt to try to push back against that. Um, So I guess one of my, one of my follow-up questions for that then would be um, Alan Moore was also, uh, also mentioned in an interview, I think maybe just about 10 or so years ago, I think it was a 2003 interview somewhere. And I, I I lost where I found that from, Um, but it was a two, I think a 2003 interview. And he said he was talking about, he was kind of lamenting the fact that comic books had taken, the deconstructed superhero of Watchmen. And they had kind of taken Frank Miller's Dark Knight Returns and had said, Oh, Hey, these are really popular. Let's just make all of our stories grim and gritty and set in reality. And, and Alan Moore was kind of saying, no, 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 that, that was not our purpose was not to create something that you should use as a model for all of your other comic book stories. Our purpose was to showcase another side of the comic book genre that you don't normally get to see, and and I think he in the article actually he he lamented and said that he was disappointed that the grim and gritty realistic take on superheroes had become a genre. He, I think he said something like I've, I'd never intended Watchmen to become a genre, but now modern comic books have kind of taken that since like the '90s on. Yeah, they've kind of taken that and they've said, oh well, we're gonna we're gonna put our superheroes in these grim and gritty and brutal situations and we're going to make their world so dark and people are so interested in that because of things like dark knight returns and watchmen and so i don't do you do you agree
1: um i mean i don't there are some things that i'm like yeah grim and gritty is fun but it's usually when it's campy so i love Mm -hmm. judge dread Okay. I love Judge Dredd. Yeah. Grim and Gritty with a little humor in <laughs> like it. Like two thousand AD, that stuff is I'd like eat that
0: up. That mm-hmm. is fantastic. I always liked um there's another British one, Death's Head. Yeah. That we used to, when we lived in England, that we I used to read a little bit. And that was kind of another one that's like there was it's it's violent and it's extreme and sometimes brutal, but at the same time there's a lot of humor in there. Oh yeah, no, it's great. It's you know, stuff like the guy
1: has a in one of the Judge Dreads he has a super powered sniper rifle. But it's solar powered, so Judge Dredd just changes the weather, and that's how he beats him. There you
0: go. <laughs> wait till nighttime makes, and stop. He this makes guy. he
1: makes Mega City One snow or something like that, and there that's how he beats him. And it's just like that's ridiculous. That's hilarious. Like what? What even is this? Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, I, I kind of have two feelings, and the first is I totally agree. I think a lot of the grim and gritty stuff is, to be frank, kind of boring. Um, it's it's boring, and it always comes with this sense of we did it like real life so it's serious now Mm -hmm. but then you sit there and you think wait a minute what do you mean you did it like real life this is a work of fiction right there is no real life in a work of fiction there never has been there never will be even in the greatest dutch masters you still know it's a painting Mm -hmm. uh I, i mean that's let's go all the way back to mimesis for that but um the second part of this i always think it's funny when when uh uh authors especially, but you know, just in general, most artists, um, say something like, well, I didn't mean it to take off in this way. I didn't mean this thing to happen. Well, it's like, no, no, you didn't mean it. There's a whole group of people behind this that you don't get to make their decisions. Right. You know, I didn't mean, uh, the grim and gritty to take off and take over comics. Well, no, you didn't, but you're not the, you're not the editors at DC. You know, to be fair, the author gets to make as much as the author gets to make, which is usually of somewhat limited input, right uh, you know, to certain degrees, I mean, you can say that most authors didn't mean certain things to happen with their text. I would guess almost everyone would say I didn't mean this thing to happen. Um, and it's always funny when they do these interviews because it's like, what do you expect the person to say? Like, yes, I'm glad that I created this genre that. <laughs> <laughs> we'll we'll go down as that time that we were all kind of dark and dour and listened to too much grunge and wore too much flannel or something like that. Like, what you, what do you expect the poor person to say? It's like when you ask an athlete how they did after a game. You, there are certain pan responses that, of course, they're gonna say that. Because otherwise, it was like, no, I'm happy that everyone's sad now. That was my goal all along. Like, you're the real supervillain here. I right. yeah, I don't know. And my other part of that, too, is uh, uh, this kind of links back a little bit to something we were talking about before. I do think it's interesting that he pulls the old comic book characters, but doesn't actually pull old comic books. So it doesn't have the diversity of old comic books in it. Really, Watchmen has all of these, I'm sure by 85, what people thought as old comic books but forget when you actually look at comic books from like the thirties and the forties, they're ridiculous. I mean, I just showed you one last night that there was a ripoff of like Mm -hmm. Rin Tin Tin. And I mean like Scooby-Doo style dog solving mysteries. Right. There are all sorts of, um, it was weird. Oh yeah. There are all sorts of, um, there were a lot of women in comic books and there's a whopping like Silk Spectre. And I think one or two others Mm -hmm. in Watchmen and the others aren't even, I don't know if they're drawn, but I know they're mentioned. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of women who are especially like masked women who beat up men. There's a lot of that in the thirties, yeah. Um, especially, and then in the forties, especially in, uh, you know, wartime stuff when a lot of the readers are going to be women as well. Um, there were, there was a good example. Somebody I noticed had put on Twitter um, some clips of a uh, uh, Muslim comic book character. He was a, um, I don't want to say like a Batman style character, but you know, he was, he was the hero of the comic book and there's actually this frame of him yelling, um, uh, uh, Allah Akbar as his like battle cry to attack the bad guy. Hmm. And I mean, the whole point was that that, you know, that's been covered over in the decades past with other kind of political valences over the fact that that really is just in a different language. Um, But it's just interesting to me that uh, you look back at the old comics, and there are so many things that not only are there more diverse characters, there's also weirder characters that you don't see anywhere in Watchmen. All the all the superheroes in Watchmen are kind of the the glossed
0: over. They're they're Justice League, right? Or Justice Society, or right that type of stuff. Yeah, well, I mean the. And the whole grim and gritty thing, I we talked about this when we did our episodes on Batman versus Superman, and and I, we've talked about this before with comic book movies. I'm not a fan of it. I mean, even even when you do Batman, like certain Batman things, like I, and we'll talk in a few weeks um, about the Dark Knight Returns. It's not my favorite Batman story. Uh-huh. I mean, I like Batman, and I like a little a little seriousness and a little psychological trauma in my Batman stories, but uh, mm, dark Knight returns. And I like it. I like, I like the story, but it's not my favorite. Like I won't, unless I was reading it for the podcast, I don't know that I would seek it out again. And I've read it two or three times now. And it's just not my, it's not the take on Batman that I enjoy and particularly Superman. And that's kind of what we've, we've talked about before is, Maybe one of the reasons that it doesn't seem like they've been able to do Superman right in the last three movies he's been in is they're trying to make him too serious. They're trying to make him too human, and they're trying to make his world too grim and gritty and dark. And and I, my favorite, probably one of my favorite Superman stories is, um, did you ever read the series All-Star Superman? No, but I know the covers. Yeah. Yeah. All Star Superman and everything is it's almost like you've jumped back into the 50s. Yeah. Like there's it's crazy sci-fi stories, you know, Superman has a gun that harnesses the power of the sun and Superman has all these crazy things in the Fortress of Solitude and that was a fun story. Yeah. Like I, that was a fun Superman story and it was also very popular, did very well. I'm like I don't really feel like I don't know who, ultimately, whether it was the DC editors or who it was that said, oh, yeah, Watchmen, Dark Knight Returns, those things are grim and gritty and set in reality. Let's do that for all of our comics and make all of our characters, you know, more violent and more realistic and all this turmoil that they have to go through. And for a character like Superman, like I feel like you need to have those bright, optimistic characters to balance out your dark Batman Punisher-type characters. Otherwise, there's no break from it. And look at the cartoon. If my Superman is more like my Batman, then when do I get a break from the dark? Right. But even look at the Justice League cartoon.
1: Look how good they did Superman in that. Right. (laughs) Superman is a, a really good manager of the team. Right. And Batman is kind of dark and brooding, but at the same time, he's
0: not too dark and he's burning. not a <laughs> jerk right yeah he's- <laughs> they've, they've kind of turned him into well for a few years i think he may, he may be a little bit better now but for a few years batman was a jerk yeah like nobody trusted him and and you he whenever something happened you're like hmm, well is batman behind this and i'm like i don't feel like that's how i should be reading my justice league comics always wondering is hmm is this something batman could be behind because he doesn't trust anybody
1: well and you know part of this too is it kind of makes you wonder who are they deconstructing out of all of this and what's the point of it because I understand deconstructing certain figures maybe you know I get like doing kind of like a one-off you do you kind of kind of like Watchmen you do a one-off where you deconstruct Batman or mm-hmm. you deconstruct Superman or something like that and then you kind of leave that alone for let's say
0: 20-30 years right. and then someone else can take a whack if at people, it if, like if people want to go see it let them go see it but that shouldn't necessarily be the weekly Right. Take on the character. Well, and
1: like, where are you going to stop deconstructing? So, are you going to like have the deconstructed adventures of Squirrel Girl? Sure, why not?
0: <laughs> Let's do it. Groot. Where, Let's deconstruct where,
1: Groot. Where, you know, she gets like protest letters from PETA every week mm-hmm. for uh,
0: enslaving her army of squirrels to do her bidding. <laughs> there you go. We would deconstruct Groot. Yeah. Really, really get down into yeah, like, right? what makes Groot Groot. Like
1: maybe, you know, maybe we we'll get to the is, root of the issue. Ah, ah, there we go. Groot is, you know, addicted to prescription strength, miracle grow. There you go. Yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and rockets his supplier. Yeah. <laughs> well, naturally. Yeah. All right. Well, we're going to wrap it up here in a second. Um, but I did want to ask you a little bit because we kind of mentioned it earlier. The uh, Tales of the Black Freighter part. I remember oh, when yeah. I first read this, I got really confused. Um, like, Why is this story... It took me reading this through twice to understand that the Tales of the Black Freighter was... I, I got a sense reading it the first time through that this was supposed to be symbolic for something going on in the actual story. Mm-hmm. But I just wasn't quite picking up on it. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't until maybe like the second time through reading Watchmen that I really got that this was supposed to kind of parallel the stories of, of Ozymandias and some of the other characters. And But I don't know still... I don't know that I like it. I think it breaks up the story too much. I think I liked the, when they put stuff in at the end, like when they would put in Rorschach's psychological file yeah. and his arrest record and yeah. when they would put in the chapters of the original Night Owl's book yeah, and stuff like that. Like, I like that because that give me a little bit of background on the characters. But I don't know. This Tales of the Black Freighter stuff was just too much. It, to me, it broke up the story a little bit too much. I don't know. What did you think? You you kind of mentioned earlier that you weren't a fan of it. No, I
1: I didn't like it because I didn't like how it like visually came on the page. I always thought that the where they put the um, story, well, they weren't bubbles, but you know what I mean. They were like squares. Um, where we put the the story squares, to be honest, because they were right in the frame with the kid reading or whatever was going on, um, they ended up kind of clumping up the frame. I mean, that's more just even a pragmatic issue than anything else. Um, but like, I get it because it's the eighties and you know, we're in the, the kind of like last boom of, uh, uh, postmodern art, which means we throw as much multimodal storytelling as we can into the thing. And, you know, we, we have to make it as varied and textured as possible and as intertextual as possible so that things talk to each other and we take significance from things talking to each other. Um, but at the same time it was one of those things that i expected for this big long intertextual drag over the middle of the story that really you are just rubbing this thing as far into my face as you can It the end of it like of course you know i saw this from a mile away it wasn't like some big surprise or anything about halfway into the the Black Freighter story. I'm wondering if this is going to, you know, punch us in a new direction or something. But the fact that it wraps back in and reinforces the story as it is, it feels like one of those things that is an artifact of the '80s. It is an artifact of the, you know, not end of postmodernism, but kind of its last heyday moments, um, where you've now put it in a situation where people think that things should be polished. I mean, that's the other part of it. Watchmen is a very polished story, which does not always work with postmodernism very well. Sometimes it does need to be unpolished to be kind of maximum impact. Um, You put something very polished inside of something else that was very polished. And so the effect is kind of like, yeah, I get it. You have textures, but the texture itself is not the end all be all. You know, it has to lead somewhere. It has to go somewhere. Um, and I get that you're talking about comic books, talking about comic books, but again, y- you can be recursive until you eventually, you know, eat yourself on the other end. It, it doesn't add that much for me. <laughs> yeah. I would have actually rather had it if it were, if it didn't connect, if it were just this weird disconnected moment where he was trying to introduce another story in the middle of the story Um, And part of the point was that there was a disconnect, that it was something that was jagged um, and something that created conflict within itself as opposed to something that agreed with itself. But again, I mean, that kind of goes into the deeper issue that we do have to remember that Watchmen is a commercial comic book. It was expected to sell. There was not an NEA grant behind its publication so that it could do all of the things that, you know, art that's more focused on... uh, being remembered as great art with all that, you know, social and institutional capital. This is not looking for that kind of capital. This is looking for hard cash.
0: <laughs> so. Yeah, I think even just the visuals threw me off because still it's the visuals of the black freighter stuff. The, they did the, the dot the, printing. Yeah, yeah. I, I had to look up. I forgot the name of it. Ben-Day dots. Oh, is what it was called? Ben-Day. It was named after dots. the the guy that mm-hmm. by Ben-Day dots by Ben-Day, the new uh the new clothing line. mm mm-hmm. Mhm now at macy's um macy's we expect you to uh, sponsor the podcast now be 20 dollars, please 20 bucks um i'm sure the check's in the mail so thank you macy's um it i think it also threw me off just because i'm looking at one page in particular we turned to i turned to one of the pages in the graphic novel i've Uh got and i'm looking at one side of the page on the left page you've got the um i think that's when the newsstand guy is talking to somebody um yeah, you got a scene kind of going on in the newsstand and you've got the colors are very much oranges and purples and and then you switch over to the next page is one of the Tales of the Black Freighter pages and it's the same colors. It's like oranges and purples and blues and yellows and and the only difference is it's the Bende dots coloring as opposed to the filled-in coloring of the other one and that, I think, really threw me off. And the mixing, the mixing in of the... Um, black freighter of uh, not speech bubbles but the narration bubbles um you know i, I think that kind of threw me off a little bit because the first time i saw those they looked similar enough to rorschach's journal um kind of the thought bubbles for rorschach's journal uh-huh. and i was like are we wait rorschach's on a boat now hold on and then it would get to the pictures of the guy on the on the uh marooned on the island and i'm like we're hold on what are we doing with pirates now like why is this guy eating other people's corpses and weird crazy things like that and or burying his friends and so I yeah I don't know after having read it read it a few times I don't know that I appreciate the black freighter part any more than I did the first time no and I didn't appreciate it the first time it, it doesn't my appreciation for the graphic novel overall has increased a little bit again not one of my absolute favorite stories of all time i i enjoy the story i like it and i can see i can see what made it something that was so interesting Mm -hmm. in 86 but the black freighter stuff like i was glad they didn't include that in the movie no i know i have the special edition part of the movie where you can actually you know watch that stuff put back in but i was really glad that that was not included in the movie no, and because uh, that killed the pacing it killed the pacing yeah. of the comic. So yeah. I can only imagine it would have killed the pacing. Well, that's—I mean—that's part of the thing.
1: Part of the reason it kills the pacing is because it agrees with the comic. Right. Everything that happens in the Black Freighter is happening
0: in the comic as you're reading it, and right. so it feels like you're reading the comic twice. Right. And I felt like the comic itself was dense enough that I right. don't need—I like, don't need to be bashed over the head with a symbolic version of what's really happening in the comic. I kind of feel like I'm getting that anyway
1: right i mean i think about like so here's here's the other example the counter example this because i have to mention david bowie on this as many times as i can do it um drive in saturday is a song off of aladdin sane which is a little bit earlier than obviously the 80s but Mm -hmm. there are other examples that work too um drive in saturday is a good example of two different things being mashed together to create you know the the intertextual play between the two and the one is that you have a sci-fi apocalyptic story about people living in um, Arcologies and The other is that you have 50s doo-wop <laughs> mm-hmm. And the fact that you have two of those going on at the same time the conflict makes that song incredibly interesting mm-hmm. and It's like you feel it you get that kind of brain tingle of something is interesting going on because the things that they're mashing together are So strange they they shouldn't go together and in some ways, they are at odds with each other. Let me put my arms your head. Gee, it's hot. Let's go to bed. Don't forget to turn on the light. Don't laugh, babe. It'll be all right. Pour me out another phone. I'll ring your friends are home, perhaps the strange ones in the dome can lend us a book, we can read up alone, and we'll try to get it on like once before, when people stare Jagger's Jack's eyes and score, like the video. Uh, whereas the black freighter is never at odds with the rest of the story right and so what i don't understand is why it inner why it's interwoven into the story and not one of those, like we said, one of those little bits that they threw on at the end gave you three or four pages of the comic and threw it on at the end of each of the chapters, like the news stories and the psychiatrist reports and the the journal that uh, Night Owl, the article that he submits. A little bit later. Also, on. can can we just go ahead and mention, since we're open to this page right now, uh, that they could not figure out that uh, ozymandias was behind the whole plot when he had giant trucks with purple pyramids driving around for a dude who wears purple and lives in a pyramid
0: <laughs> they're not very good detectives it's the uh suspension of disbelief there brian you gotta just uh, you just gotta roll with it all right well uh do you have any other any other thoughts on watchmen as we wrap up it well here if nobody if you if there are people listening to this that have never read watchmen we've just ruined the whole thing for you yeah but if you've never read watchmen what would you tell these people should they go read watchmen and why yes or if they shouldn't or if you have something else like what should they read instead that would be
1: no so i you know i always say whether something is good or not you should read it anyway Um, it's always valuable to have the experience and it's always valuable to be able to read a thing that is lauded, as much as I don't like people to say only read the canon. You read things that are lauded and then you read things that maybe aren't, but you know have some value to it. So things that kind of sneak in under the radar a little bit. So for sure read Watchmen. Um, You know, for sure get the experience of what it is that people are lauding because in that sense you get a better idea of, you know, what are the standards for the industry, what was the history of the industry, all of those things. So when you do go and read things that might be, you know, of some other value, or you experience some other media of some other value, um, then you can kind of pick up on some of those other points differently. Um, So like, you know, you might read Watchmen and see all these different things that are happening in terms of kind of an apocalyptic feeling or something like that. and it informs, then, on the other hand, when you read something else that's, let's say, apocalyptic from the 80s um, or just apocalyptic in general and have that dystopian feel, you might read something like, uh, you know, uh, Murakami's uh, um, Hard Boiled Wonderland and End of the World or End of the World and *Hardboiled*. I don't remember which one comes first. What order it goes in. Um, or, you know, even something like uh, uh, Alexis, what's her name? Alexis DeVos Yabo, I think. Um that one is not actually apocalyptic, but the but it's interesting because then you see when people find those points of you know total lowness or total despair. Um, Yabo is mostly about uh, uh, like the histor- the historical passage of uh, slave stories and kind of where that is now, well, you see this total devastation of people and culture, but as opposed to Watchmen, which proposes to say, I don't know, maybe it'll all happen again and we can throw up our hands, something like Yabo says, but actually we can find strength after all this devastation and we can find a place to go forward um, and we can find something to do on the other end of this that is... Um, not necessarily uh utopic but it has the flash of utopia Um, it's the kind of thing that um jose uh, Jose esteban munoz talks about in cruising utopia which is about um, queer utopias and finding spaces in like uh andy warhol's art where you see the utopia when people who may not belong to that community don't and I feel like Watchmen never sees the utopia. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's part of its issue is because it doesn't actually belong to a community. It it just kind of floats there as the statement about genre. Um, but I do think that's interesting then because then you can read it as a book about genre and how do people talk about genre um, as a historical artifact.
0: All righty. All right. So, yes, if you have not read Watchmen, go out and give it a try. Uh, You may enjoy it. Um, It is, you you can find it collected. I think there's several different editions. Um, If you want to go nuts, I have heard that the, when DC was doing, I don't know if they're still doing those or not, called the Absolute Editions, they would be these oversized, I think they, like, enhance the colors and these oversized, huge, um, blown-up pages uh, of the original comics, called the Absolute Editions. I've heard that that one, the Watchmen Absolute Edition, is, is very, very pretty. Um, so hey, there's that one. There's a regular graphic novel. You can get them in the single issues. I Now, I never read the before Watchmen. Did you ever no, take any of those? No, okay. I didn't. No. I think that was 2009, maybe. Well, I'm trying to remember. I think it was, might have been 2009 that they came out with those, and it was supposed to be kind of this prequel story of some of the adventures of the characters of watchmen when they were active superheroes so but i never never took a look at that one i will say if you
1: are going to watch it find like a cat or dog or something that you can hug afterwards to watch the movie well i was even just the book or the, oh, the, to read movie. the book. either yeah. one you need to find something fuzzy that you can hug afterwards because so that it's, you feel better about yourself yeah and and, in the world and yeah and you're not worried okay. about nixon for four terms or whatever it is right all
0: right. Well, Obama okay. space Nixon.
1: That's what go. made me think. There you go.
0: Yeah. <laughs> um, well, really quick, I, I did not. Uh, I did not ask you this. Let me ask you this before okay. we before we sign off. Um, what is uh, of the works of Alan Moore? Uh, what's your favorite? Um, I, I would guess it's probably V for Vendetta. I will
1: actually, yeah, and it is the graphic novel. It's not the it's not the movie. Um, because the graphic novel, the reason that I like that probably the most out of the stuff that he's done is because he is just being as blatant as he can and i i like it when authors just say yeah you know what this is what i think this is what you know i believe and we're just gonna lay it on the line we're just gonna put it out deal there. with it <laughs> right um i think it's the strongest uh point whether you agree with it or not and i don't agree with it but um it lays it out on the line very clearly like this is a book about anarchy and this is what i see an anarchist hero being and i you know i appreciate that level of uh, straightforwardness
0: Alrighty. so as also if you have not read v for vendetta go check that one out too and you recommend the graphic novel over the movie
1: yeah the movie's fun Mm -hmm. Um, I think think it is a lot of fun but it's the difference between uh, V in the movie is all about democracy and freedom and V in the graphic novel is all
0: about tearing down the government (laughs) and that's pretty much it yeah (laughs) Alrighty. Well, that's going to do it for our Watchmen episode. Uh, You can join us back here probably in a few days uh, because we've got, we're going to try to shoehorn this in between some of our movies. You can join us back here in a few days and we'll be talking about the Danny DeVito Bette Midler. um, I don't know if I want to call it a classic. I don't think it's a classic. Ruthless People. Um, And I've, I've watched it. I think that's all I'm going to say about it for now. I will say my my parting shot here. Mm-hmm.
1: If you have ever cast a Nintendo movie for anything, Danny DeVito is your is your lead, or is at least in the movie. That's true. Danny DeVito for Mario. Uh, Danny DeVito for Great Detective Pikachu. Uh, Danny DeVito for the Goron King in Zelda. Okay. I mean, I don't know if you could fit him in there, uh, but certainly Danny DeVito as uh, a, a Metroid. Okay. You just want Danny to be over. Not everything. Not Samus. I mean, we can right. get someone else to be, but yeah. You just want Danny to be over everything. Yeah, so in a Nintendo movie, somewhere in a Nintendo movie. Yeah. Okay. But definitely, great detective Pikachu. That needs to happen.
0: Okay. Yeah. All right, Danny, you heard it. So, get your uh, get your agent on that. Get in the Nintendo movies. Let's make it happen. Uh huh okay just as a quick reminder you can find us at 30podcast.com that's probably the best way to go about finding us because that is our official website from there you can find the facebook page the twitter account the instagram uh, we are on stitcher satchel google play podcast itunes you can listen to us directly from 30podcast.com you can email us 30podcast at gmail.com every time i say 30 podcast it's a three zero podcast Um, so 30podcasts at gmail.com you can also give us a call and put in some audio feedback uh, by calling us at 872-35-MOVIE that's 872-356-6843 we usually record every monday night so we'll try to post up on twitter what we're going to be talking about that week and uh, then you can send us some feedback either through twitter facebook email or through the voicemail line so again like i said next week or next within the next few days we'll be talking about ruthless people and then uh, the next week after that we're talking about hannah and her sisters the woody allen movie so if you've got any feedback for us facebook twitter uh, voicemail line email however you want to get that to us Um, but until then we will see you next time go watch some good movies be excellent to each other go watch some good movies and go read some good comic books Uh, Our next comic book episode most likely will be The Dark Knight Returns. Um, That one probably coming up at the end of September or beginning of October. But we'll let you know as it gets closer. All right. Take care, everybody. See you next time. I did my best. It wasn't much.
1: I couldn't feel. So I tried to touch. I've told the truth. I didn't come to fool you. And even though it all went wrong, I'll stand before the Lord of song with nothing on my tongue but hallelujah,
0: hallelujah. Hey, you're pretty famous, right? (laughs) you know what? I'm pretty famous too. Ain't that right? right? That's right. You know, maybe I can give you an autograph, huh? What you say, big boy?
1: <laughs> you seem to understand. I'm not locked in here with you
0: in here with me.